This is episode number 12 and it's the last in our series as we're in normal time. We begin um, next week with a new series where we're going for four weeks looking at the theme of Advent. But in this episode, episode 12, we're going to be looking at a parable or two parables or one parable told in two different ways or one parable but come at it from two different angles or maybe two parables, who knows, Uh, but sit back and enjoy. First of all, I just want to again, thank you for listening, thank you for subscribing, thank you for um, all the sharing and and, and everything that you're doing for the podcast, it's been uh, wonderful to hear um, some of the responses to how people have been um, enjoying it, and the sorts of things that they've been getting up to whilst they've been listening to it as well, so whether this finds you sat on your settee, out on a walk, at the gym, um, doing some work at, at school or, or whatever it is, uh, I just thank you for for taking some time out of your busy lives to uh, share this podcast uh, with me today. Um, so we're going to just dig straight into this parable that Jesus told, this story that was trying to get at the heart of of something else. So it's Matthew thirteen, starting in verse forty four. God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic. What a find! And proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise the money to buy that field. Now in this first part of the story that Jesus is is telling to try and put across what this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is like Uh, notice we're told here about this character Um, we're told that this man isn't looking for anything in particular he's just kind of wandering aimlessly through a field and happens upon this treasure it's almost like he trips over it by accident and then we're told that he very quickly hides that treasure again And then as he is full of excitement and joy, goes out and sells everything that he has so that he can raise the money, the funds to buy that field and therefore also that freshly hidden treasure. And Jesus says that God's rule, God's reign, God's way of working in the world that he's breaking into this one, the kingdom of heaven is a bit like that. And then Jesus carries on. Or God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant on the hunt for excellent pearls. Finding one that is flawless, he immediately sells everything that he has and buys it. Jesus talks about this this merchant, this buyer and seller of stuff. And so this merchant is looking for fine pearls, plural. He's on the hunt for a particular thing, and not just that, but for a group of those particular things. But then, in his search, he finds just one. He's looking for many, but he finds one. 
But this one is so amazing that he is willing to sell everything else that he had so that he could just go and buy this one pearl. Now, as I've said, this is a this is a two examples or one example told in two different ways of a, a way that Jesus teaches. And Jesus wasn't this wasn't unique to Jesus. This was this way of telling stories and parables to explain something else was was something that within that kind of rabbi tradition was being done and used all the time throughout that time. Jesus wasn't this wasn't something new when Jesus came onto the scene. One of the problems with these kinds of stories is that we can tend to try and decipher the code a little bit too much sometimes. Um, we can try and make each and every thing or person in that story represent something or someone else, which is fine. It's okay. That's not a bad way to read a parable. That's not a bad way to approach this kind of storytelling teaching of Jesus. It's not wrong. But I would argue that there is more to reading a parable or hearing a story like this. There is more to this story than just that. Because over and over again in the Gospels, you'll see that the disciples will either ask Jesus why he keeps using these kinds of stories to teach, or why he keeps on telling these parables. And then over and over again, the disciples will ask Jesus what these stories mean, what each character or object within each story represents. Which I said, again, is fine. It's okay to ask those kinds of questions. But if we're not careful, we can end up squashing the story. We can end up squeezing this parable and squeezing the life and the meaning out of it, trying to force it to be or to mean something that it's not. And now it's time for my confession. I've been guilty of this before. Desperately even trying to search for this kind of bite-sized meaning to a parable or discovering the key to magically unlocking these stories, or even trying to force them to fit a topic that I wanted to talk about. So in the past, I'd have a theme or something that I wanted to talk about, or the main point of a, a message or a sermon at church or, or on, a, on a video or whatever. And then I'd go looking for a parable that I could fit into that theme rather than looking at the parable as a standalone and seeing what that speaks to me. I'm trying to squeeze this round parable into a square shaped hole. So what are the ways that we can read this parable? What are the ways that we can understand this ancient story from Jesus? The first one is that the treasure in the first story and the pearl in the second story represents the gospel. That the treasure of the pearl is the thing that he searched for and eventually found. That, it, that, the, that the gospel, that the truth, the true real reality is out there somewhere waiting to be found. And whether we, like the first man, just happen upon it and stumble over it and almost trip over the gospel accidentally looking for something else or not looking for anything at all 
or whether we are intentionally out there searching and seeking for this truth. This way of reading this parable tells us that it is something to be found, that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus, that ultimate reality and truth is something that we can possess, something that we can own, something that can be bought. But the question becomes, is this something? And is this something that we can ever own or possess? The second way of reading this parable, of hearing this teaching from Jesus, is to flip this a little bit and to say that the treasure in the first story or the pearl in the second story is in fact you, the hearer of this story, the reader of this parable. You are that treasure. You are that pearl. And that it is God who is the person wandering around in the field. And it is God who is this pearl merchant, who is actively searching for you, actively pursuing you, longing to discover you, and then rejoice in that discovery, and then take you and own you and possess you. And it's this extravagantness, isn't it? Like in the first story, that, that God, once he finds you, doesn't just buy you, doesn't just possess you, doesn't just own you, but buys the whole entire field. God sells everything. God sacrifices everything. God alters his own son to possess you. That you are that pearl of great price. Either of these two ways of reading this isn't bad. Whether you come to these stories and see this as a a call to action, that we need to be like these characters, like this man in the field and like this merchant, and we need to be going out there pursuing and seeking the truth, seeking God, searching for the gospel. Or whether it's a teaching about how God searches and pursues and seeks after us and that we are God's treasure. Both of those ways of reading that parable, of hearing that story, are fine. Both of them are good. There is truth within both of those ways of seeing this story. But here are some things that I think are true about both aspects of this story. Both of these stories tell us something about value and worth. And as you read those, the, the, the idea behind these parables is to, is to dig into you and to get you to start asking questions. So as I read parables like this, I need to be thinking of what is valuable in my life? What do I hold as most valuable in my life? What is worth the effort? What is really important in my life? And how far am I willing to go for that? How much am I willing to sacrifice in order to to keep hold of that thing that is of worth and value? 
Second thing to notice is that both of these stories build on each other. See, it can be, we can be really tempted, really, to, to read these stories as kind of just juxtapositions of each other. So that the man in the field and the merchant in the second story are just opposites in the story and they're showing us one way of being and another way of being. And Jesus is just holding the two up together as an example. But actually, I'd argue that these stories build on each other. See, we start off with a guy in a field. And as I said, he's not looking for anything in particular. He's not searching, he's just there. The gift from this first man in this story is presence. He's just being in the field. He's there and he is open to the opportunity of finding the treasure in the first place. See, if that man wasn't in that field, he would never find the treasure. So we have this guy in a field, not particularly searching for anything at all, but he is there. He is present. Then he finds the treasure and sells everything. And it moves from something that's kind of passive in this first story. The man's not doing anything to find the treasure. And when he does, all he does really is hide it, keep it secret, and then go out and quite underhandedly and quite kind of slyly by the field knowing that there is a treasure buried within it that presumably the person who is selling that field isn't aware of. And it moves from this kind of passive thing in the first telling of the story to a much more intentional movement. Because by the time we get to the second story, we've built on this idea, haven't we? And now we have someone whose job it is, whose identity it is, whose calling it is to go out and find these kinds of treasures. This merchant of fine, precious jewels and gems, this this trader of pearls is out there intentionally looking for the very thing that he wants to trade. It's part of who he is. And so he ends up finding this one and selling everything else so that he can possess that one pearl. Both stories are moving. Both stories are going somewhere. Jesus is building onto something here. And if you continue to read through the parables that that keep coming up after this, you will see that continuation of building. And then thirdly, that in the second story, the guy who starts off as a merchant isn't a merchant by the end of the story, is he? See, to be a merchant, you need stuff. You need stuff that you are able to then sell. Or you need money so that you can then buy stuff so that you are then able to sell. But by the end of this story, we're told that this merchant is left there with this one pearl and he has used everything else that he has just to buy this one pearl. He has liquidated all his assets. He has sold everything else that he owns to possess this one pearl. And he has no intention of going and selling that pearl. He has no intention of being a merchant again. What starts off as being his identity at the beginning of this story, what starts off as being the calling in his life, what starts off as being the thing that he considers the thing that makes him him, by the end, he is no longer that anymore. But he has something far greater. So I want to just read that those two parables um, through once more. 
and see if we can pick up anything else from it. God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic, what a find, and proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money to buy that field. Or God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant on the hunt for excellent pearls. Finding one that is flawless, he immediately sells everything and buys it. Just like how in other stories Jesus uses characters like tax collectors and Samaritans and here merchants in this story would have had a kind of negative connotation. Merchants were pretty much always seen as a bad guy, as examples in the Bible. In Revelation, the author calls the enemy, the Roman Empire, this, merchants of the world, trading people. See, merchants weren't painted in a good light. And in the first one, even in that version, the message there, it describes this man in the field as what? A trespasser. He's not supposed to be there. These are negative connotations to both of these characters. And so as Jesus' original audience would have recoiled almost at the mention of the word trespasser and merchant. And then the mention of pearls would have given this opposite effect. Pearls would have been extravagant and mysterious and almost unattainable. They were very rare. The people Jesus were talking to had probably never even seen a pearl. Pliny, a historical document, has said that in that day and time, pearls were the most extravagant luxury. Apparently, in history as well, Cleopatra used to dip pearls into vinegar and drink them as proof of how important and wealthy she was. So Jesus is using very provocative images and language here, talking about trespassers and merchants on the one side and then pearls on the other. Another thing to notice, which I mentioned on Sunday as well, is that this first parable is about joy. The joy and the exuberance and the excitement that that trespasser finds as he discovers this this, uh, treasure in the field that he then buries and goes out and, and, and buys that field, the excitement and the joy that is bubbling up. And then owning that field and therefore owning that treasure, the, the excitement and the joy and the potential that, that that man has at the end of that story. This parable is about joy. But the second parable is about loss. You see, by the end, this merchant doesn't possess a field. He doesn't possess anything. Maybe he's not even wearing any clothes. We're told that he sells everything that he has. If we take that to the to the end of the line of thinking here, he has sold the clothes that he is wearing so that he can stand there, stark naked, holding that pearl of great price. See, if someone came and, and took your identity away, took everything that you thought made you you away whether it's your name your family your job your calling your ability to do the things that you love to do then the question becomes who would you be 
That's the question under the second story. Who is this merchant when he's no longer a merchant? Without all of the stuff and the money and the job and the title and the label, who is he now? He has lost everything to possess the pearl. First story, it's about joy. Second is about loss. Now Jesus usually told these kinds of stories and parables as an answer to a question, but that raises all sorts of other questions, doesn't it? For you today, what would it look like to find that which brings you joy and for you to to pursue it, to, to chase after it, to kind of hunt it down with all of your creativity and your passion? What would that look like? How different might your life be? What's that one thing that, that wakes you up in the morning? What's that one thing that really fires you up when you're talking about it with other people or thinking about it or reading about it or learning about it? What's that one thing that wakes you up and kind of pushes everything else into the background? So the kingdom of God is like someone finding that one thing that awakens themselves, that inner passion, and then pursuing that and possessing that we find out in the second one, in the second story, can be painful. It will come at a cost. What is it that makes you feel alive? How are you uniquely made? You see, God made us to, and wants us to, live lives full of life. Abundant life, as Jesus called it. Eternal life as the New Testament writers put it. Lives full of passion. So much so that it's overflowing into everything and everyone around us. It's life-giving. It's life-affirming. So that's the first parable. But what about the second? See, we saw the first parable was about joy. The second parable is about loss. This second parable is different. Yes, the first, in the first parable, the guy sold all that he had. But then he bought a field which contained a treasure. So there is this still, this element of possession there. But this merchant gave up everything and was left with one single pearl. But can a pearl shelter you? Can a pearl feed you or keep you safe and warm? No unless you sell or lose that pearl as well. This parable not only has something to do with loss, it has something to do with suffering. This parable asks us, what happens when you start losing things in your life? What happens to your soul during this kind of narrowing and reducing and loss? When something that you had is no longer there anymore. Richard Raw said that everything in life is our teacher and that all of our blessings and our joys and the haves and the yeses teach us. But actually our best teacher is pain and suffering and loss. See, there's something about loss that brings such a sharpness and a clarity to things, isn't there? Hardships and sufferings and loss 
kind of force something else out of us. They bring other things up to the surface. It's been so evident during first lockdown and shelter in place and social distancing and working from home and second lockdown and all of these other restrictions that have been put on us. I've said before, we almost have had to go through a grieving and a mourning process of the the lives that we used to live. We've missed out on so much. We've had to change our lives in so many different ways. But there's something about that loss that brings a sharpness and a clarity. Hardships and sufferings and losses force us into a state of unravelling. I've experienced this during lockdown. And it's in that that we ask, what's happening? Or... Why am I feeling this way? Or who am I? Or if I can't go there, and if I can't do that, and if I can't be with them, then who am I now? If I'm not a merchant anymore, then what am I? And we search and we ask more intensely. And that's leading us into Advent. This longing and this expectancy and this searching and asking and this intensity that grows and grows and builds and builds over time. That's what Advent is all about and it's what we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks. Philip Yancey says that pain is the gift that nobody wants. Henry Nguyen in his book The Wounded Healer says this. He says that all the world's best healers whether that's physical, psychological, or even spiritual, they all have wounds. The best healers have wounds. It's why when you meet people and talk to them and find out what social justice thing or social justice things that they're into and have such clarity and passion, why? Because somewhere along the way they got wounded. They were hurt. They were the victim somehow the kingdom of God worked in spite of that that it's become a kind of gift that they give away and the kingdom of heaven grows because of it just think about times of growth and movement and narrowing and refocusing in your own lives it came from some kind of suffering or loss or from some kind of joy and passion or if you're anything like me, from a bit of both. See, we have five children, but only one with us. We have four children in heaven. And God has used those situations to break us open and to stretch us and to give us stuff to wrestle with. I'm not trying to make less of this harshness. It was tough. It is tough. It was dark and painful and horrible. It is dark and painful and horrible. But that wound has done something to us. Janine has spoken about it. She writes blog posts about it, about her experience and her feelings. She's been in talks with Tommy's, the the baby loss awareness. And she's using her experience to try and help other women to go through this every day. 
and I've had my own thoughts and feelings and experiences published in a book that documents dad's journeys through this kind of thing. Because the best teachers, it turns out, are wounded. And the kingdom of God is inexplicably working and moving and breaking through in spite of our suffering. And the kingdom of God is inexplicably working and moving and breaking through because of our suffering. I shared this on Sunday and I want to finish with it now. Uh, Mary Oliver, one of my uh, favourite all-time poets, wrote a poem called The Journey. And in it she has this one line that just floors me every time. One day you finally knew what you had to do and you began that's what Jesus is ultimately getting at in these parables because the only way that these stories and these teachings and these parables fail the only way that a parable fails is if it doesn't do something in you the only way that this teaching is just a nice story or a clever little pun or a humorous little anecdote the only way that this parable fails is if you don't begin So as we come to the end of our ordinary time in the Christian calendar and as we look towards this Sunday and the beginning of Advent and then Christmas time, please, please, please find out what this parable, what these parables are speaking into you and then begin. Grace and peace.